The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you uh, here from New, uh, from New York here. Uh, it is November 22nd, 2016. Uh, I like to remind you I'm also the uh, author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And that my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And Chen is actually off uh, to um, some strange parts of the world, the Ukraine and also Morocco, to look at a couple of the investments that he is putting his money into now. And we'll be reporting back. And uh, certainly some of those investments are things that I talk about from time to time in my newsletter as well, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stock. And you can sign up for my letter and Chen's letter at miningstocks.com miningstocks.com, or you can call our uh, our office number here during normal hours, uh, normal business hours in New York, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. We want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Novo Resources, Klondike Gold, RN Resources, and Ariane Phosphate. I've titled today's show, The Road to Ruin, the Global Elite's Secret Plan for the Next Financial Crisis. Well, that's actually the title of a book uh, that it was written by our main guest today, James Rickards. Uh, I recorded my interview with James back on November uh, 2nd. It was about six days or so before the presidential election. And it is interesting to note that James thought the election of Donald Trump may be our last chance to retain what little freedom and liberty that is left of our government uh, that are provided by our government or given to us naturally as our founders saw it in 1776. Uh, Interestingly enough, um, James thought it was a very important issue and of course uh, the odds seemed to be against Mr. Trump winning at that time, but nonetheless he thought that it was a very important uh, positive if he did win. I know there's lots of people listening to this show probably think otherwise and uh, you know as time goes on we'll We'll ferret that out as to whether it was a positive or a negative, I suppose. But uh, now, as Rickards points out, the elite, at least at this point in time up until now, have been planning a one-world government for all of us by getting rid of national sovereignty in favor of a one-world government. 
uh, with themselves, of course, the elite being in charge. And Donald Trump said yesterday that the first day in office he will rescind the TPP. Well, if ever you wondered why the mainstream media have hated Donald Trump so much, I would submit to you that you need to look not much further than that. The issue of national sovereignty, uh, the idea that the elite uh, and those who worship the elite, uh, having them in charge is, is no doubt what has caused so many people so much consternation since the election results and uh, Mr. Trump's victory. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like the idea of government being further and further removed from me as an individual. Indeed, that is what Brexit, I think, is all about. I think it's what Marie Le Pen uh, is about in France, similar movements in Italy and other countries as well. And frankly, I think that's what 1776 was about. Taxation without representation is what it was about, and that's uh, seemingly the direction of things. You know, why do you, um, you know, why, you're just an individual, you don't have anything to say, you don't, we don't have to worry about you. Common folks, but certainly, I think this election showed that common folks are getting sick and tired about having every minute matter of their lives under the control of faraway bureaucrats and bankers who are getting richer and richer at the expense of those who really create the wealth. I like to say the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, and the inventors. While we can always hope the economic problems that have accumulated since the Nixon removed gold from the monetary system in 1971, we can always hope that they'll be solved somehow. But they seem to me so enormous that, quite frankly, in my view, it seems like all about the only answer is a divine intervention. The global economy has been so badly removed from equilibrium that any return back may be far too painful to avoid uh, for any politicians to avoid, including Mr. Trump. I hope that's not true, but that's my fear. Um, Rickards uh, points out very interestingly, as you'll hear uh, if you stay tuned to his discussion um, that I had with him. Uh, Rickards points out that uh, to avoid really rather than nuclear war, his concern is cyber attacks, and uh, he'll talk about that and how uh, cyber attacks can be used now rather than nuclear war uh, as warfare. Why to destroy everything in sight uh, if you can keep everything together and then control uh, other nations? That seems to be the thinking, at least that's where what Rickards is talking about. Uh, one of many things, very interesting discussion I had with him. Trump seems to be offering a return, I would submit, to uh, many aspects of the free markets. I, I, I certainly hope that that's the case. It has been, indeed, Keynesian socialism and the destruction of capitalism through the denial of price discovery of capital that has brought this horrific economic destruction about, in my view. At least that's one of many things, but that's probably the most important thing, is the destruction of, of price discovery of capital. So the, really, so the really big question is whether or not it's too late Rickard's book, The Road to Ruin, suggests that the global monetary system is changing very rapidly and that smart investors are exchanging worthless fiat money into gold, which James believes will transcend the price, uh, will cause the price of gold to rise to many thousands of dollars. Well, one person who definitely brings some optimism to this show, and one of the reasons I like to have Michael Oliver with me uh, every week, uh, is Michael Oliver, who seems to, to believe that somehow... Uh, Free markets will emerge uh, eventually. So thanks for joining me again, Michael. It's good to have you with me again. Well, I'm glad to be here, Jay. And if you hear any background noise, I'm in the airport. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I know you. I, yeah. I know that you yeah. had uh, somewhat of an emergency yeah. and you needed to take yeah. your wife to the airport. I, I'm glad that you could be with us. But it's, yeah. you sound good now, Michael. So, Bye. Um, 
you suggested, uh, you know, you've been talking for some time, Michael, about uh, these market plate tectonics, the really big moves, and you have been suggesting for some time that we would see stocks and bonds enter a significant bear market and commodities led by gold entering a significant bull market. And indeed, it seems like so far three out of four are proving to be correct, but the S&P 500 and stocks in general, uh, in the U.S. at least, uh, have not been cooperating with the uh, with the views that you've provided for us uh, through your momentum work. What do you What do you think is uh, going on? Well, uh, the S and P. If you look at developed economy stock markets, that would include Europe, Japan, and uh, North America, and you treat them as a whole. In fact, there's an MSCI index of the developed market index of the world X emerging markets. And it looks distinctly different than does the S&P. So the S&P, the Dow, the NASDAQ 100, for example, are standouts. So you have to treat them as such. They are not, quote, the stock market of developed economies. They are unique to the U.S., and they are only inching highs. Uh, Again, right now, we are 100 points higher than we were two years ago. Uh Okay, well, 100 points is 5%. Mm-hmm. A little less than 5%, actually, on the S&P. We're 2093 in December of 2014, and today we're 2190s. Okay? So that is a, you know, hardly the kind of gain that you know, people were in the market for over two years to make 4-point-something percent. Uh, that's desperation income. It doesn't keep uh, pension funds afloat, for example. They can't have that continue for another two, three years. They'll, they'll be bust. So mm-hmm. something has to give way. And I think they're just inching, and I think they're going to break down. Uh, the momentum says they are. I don't trust price. Uh, it went up and made a new high, finally, above the high we made several months ago. It did it by all of the several points. My near-term to intermediate-term work says we're overbought by MSA standards, momentum structural analysis standards, and I suspect it's a downturn. What I'm really watching right now is I think that bonds and stocks will join hands and go down together, meaning higher yields and lower stock prices, or mm-hmm. lower bond prices, lower stock prices at the same time. Bonds have had a big collapse in the last few months, particularly in the last few weeks, a big one. Uh, yields have gone up a percent in Europe, largely, and here they've gone up at least three-quarters of a percent on the 30-year bond, while prices have collapsed. Uh, I think the collapse is real. I think there's more to it. Yields will go higher in the long run, and uh, probably even in the intermediate term. But what I'm looking for on the bonds right now is a, is a, is a rally, uh, a short covering rally that is false. But I can see the setup for it. The technicals are there to justify a sharp counter-trend rally. Remember, bonds mm-hmm. were up in the 160s, uh, mid to upper 160s, and now we're in the lower 150s all of a sudden. I think you could actually rally back to about 160. Well, I can see the technicals for that, and the question then is, what's going to cause that? And I have a suspicion what's going to cause it is a stock market rollover, another rollover from yet mm-hmm. another new high that doesn't sustain, and that that will generate some fear and flight to safety back into bonds, and that would explain why I think I see what I see in the T-bond market, namely a justified sharp short-covering rally caused by a stock rollover. An interesting point was brought to my attention yesterday in an email from Peter Bookvar to me. Uh, mm-hmm. He frequently, you see him on CNBC. Uh, yes. He noted that there was a peak after the Reagan election in November, early November to mid-November of 1980, his first election. This is one against mm-hmm. Carter. And it was a very strong run-up to a new high in the Dow. And within a month after the post-election partying, 
because, after all, you had just elected a president who was more market-oriented, more business-friendly than was the leading president. So, therefore, investors bought the market. Within a month, you were down 10% after that high. Uh, within a year and a half, you were down 22% from that high. Mm-hmm. I tend to, and why? Because the market has bigger things to move on than who just became president. After all, right. even if a president is going to have a good outcome for, let's say, business, it isn't going to show up right away. Uh, they cut taxes, the effect of that might be a year, year and a half later before it has a sure. positive impact. So those who immediately buy on, quote, good news or perceived good news are probably fooling themselves because there's a lot of embedded bad news built into the market already needing to be expunged, namely mispricing of assets by central banks. Mm-hmm. Not only debt assets, but equity assets, and uh, various major asset categories have been mis- mispriced over the years because of central bank interventions. And therefore, that, to me, will trump any, quote, good news you might want to interpret out of a Donald Trump victory. All right. Uh, Michael, let me, let, let me just ask you this, uh, Michael. If, uh, if there's a flight to safety, as you suggest, from stocks into bonds, causing mm-hmm. a counter-trend rally in bonds, might there also be a flight to gold as, as a safety I uh, think so. market? Uh, uh-huh. Gold has been tending to move with bonds lately. As the bonds went down, gold went down. And I think that, to some extent, has helped the dollar, which has marginally taken out two prior peaks. The dollar index had peaked at 100 in early uh, 2015, and again 100, I think, late last year, early this year on the dollar index. We got the 101 recently. So we've, quote, broken out on a price chart. None of our momentum work indicates that breakout is valid. In fact, everything says it's invalid. It is a, it is a bull trap, meaning if you buy that breakout, don't expect it to sustain and our view is that if you, if, if you back off the dollar index, which, again, has probably been influenced by the, the rise in rates in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, if you back it off to about 98.5, any time next year, we're talking a couple percent drop, I will violate a multi-multi-year uptrend on annual momentum of the dollar index, and it will head down hard. Mm-hmm. So that has been another asset category that has been very dull, the dollar and the euro specifically. Right. Uh, they're range-bound this year to the tune of about 7, 8, 9, 10% at max from peak to below. And it's been up, down, up, down, up, down with no trend. Recently, the dollar's been firm, but there have been points of downside as well. So it's a very narrow little box for both of those major currencies. So there's one asset category out there that has not been volatile this year. And I think 2017 is going to see extreme volatility in the foreign exchange markets, which will also mm. have further impact on those moving tectonic plates. Yeah. So it's going to be a fascinating time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be really fascinating. I think uh, it's going to be uh, a very, very fascinating market in 2017. We're out of time, Michael. Thanks for being with us again. Folks, go to msa.com, msa, uh, olivermsa.com. Uh, a new look there to Michael's website. Consider subscribing to his excellent service. It's one I cannot do without. So uh, thank you very much, Michael, for being with us. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to go thank commercial you, break. When we come back, we're going to be with James Rickards, who will be with us for the remainder of today's show. So don't go away. We'll be right back with James Rickards. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Orin Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Speck Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the Symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am happy to have with me once again James Rickards. Well, James is the author of the best-selling Currency Wars, uh, The Death of Money is another book that he's written. And, and now uh, he is here to talk to us about his latest book titled The Road to Ruin, The Global Elite's Secret Plan for the Next Financial Crisis. Well, most of you know Jim very well, so I don't want to spend time on his bio. Uh, but for those of you who would like to know a little bit more about him, you can find a more complete bio at uh, go to the Voice America. Go to my page, this, this show's page at the Voice America Business Channel, and it is posted there. Welcome, James. Thanks for joining me again. Thanks, Jay. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's always good to hear from you. I, I really, um, you know, you're not on major media enough as far as I'm concerned. I'd like, love to see you there more often. I really enjoyed, uh, I think it was at the end of last year I saw you on Bloomberg, and I know you are on a lot of the major networks from time to time, but as far as I'm concerned, not often enough because your voice is one crying in a wilderness to a certain extent anyway. I, I do want to get into your new book, but I'd like to just uh, maybe a question or two or touch on the Currency Wars book written in 2011. Uh, you quite correctly predicted that the Federal Reserve would not raise interest rates for years to come. Well, we've seen one small quarter point interest rate rise since then, I guess. But it seems that, and they keep promising us that we're going to have another rate rise. It's just around the corner. The economy is going to get stronger and it will warrant a rate rise. So don't worry. But we get around the corner and the rate rise never seems to come. Now it seems as though the Fed is backing down once again. Well, how much longer do you think this, this game can go on where they promise, promise, and then they can't deliver because the economy is so weak? Well, it's a great question, Jay, and you're right, it is a game. Now, uh, of course, 
Um, the November meeting, uh, there's no uh, no rate hike. Yeah, that's that's no surprise. But the Fed will raise interest rates at their December 2016 meeting, so uh, you can count on that. Uh, I actually had uh, dinner recently at our club with. Um, Bill Dudley, of course, he's the uh, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, probably the second most powerful central banker in the world after Janet Yellen, permanent voting member of the FOMC. Um, and, and he he told me just flat out that they're going to raise rates in December. I was actually a little surprised. Now, just to be clear, he was speaking personally. He wasn't, wasn't an official Fed position, but usually they load that up with a lot of uh, caveats. Uh, but they're going to raise rates in December. We can see that coming. The question is where do we go from there? Because remember, the last time they raised rates, which was a year ago, almost December 2015, the stock market fell 11% mm-hmm. in the following eight weeks, uh, starting January 1st through February 10th, 2016, it fell 11%. It would have fallen more, but for the fact that uh, the Fed actually started with Dudley in late January, started engaging in their happy talk, you know, their happy dance, and yep. saying, well, you know, because in December 2015, they laid out a whole program, and you're right, they were going to raise rates four more times in 2016, again 2017, get them up to 3% by the end of 2018. Well, they completely backed off from that. There were no rate hikes through all of 2016 until now December. Um, so uh, so that's how they, they turned the market around. They, By the way, they did the same thing about four months earlier. Remember, they originally planned the liftoff for September of 2015, but then August 10, 2015, you had this shock Chinese devaluation of the yuan part of the currency wars, and then the stock market fell out of bed then, fell uh, also about 11%, a little more, in a matter of three weeks. And again, the Fed saved the day by backing away from their own planned rate hikes. So um, so there is this pattern of saying they're going to raise, and then markets fall out of bed, and then they back off. But now the coast is clear. Um, you know, markets anticipated. Uh, they've warned everyone they're going to do it. Uh, the um, you know things the, the job creation side of things is okay. Third quarter GDP came in a little stronger than expected, so the coast is clear. But after that, as soon as they do, I would expect the stock, as I say, stocks will fall out of bed again. Then they'll just have to back off. So it's it's a little bit of a game, but uh, I analogize it to um, a kid who's trying to steal money from his mother's wallet. You know, if mom's not if mom's not looking, he might go grab a dollar. But if mom's watching him, he's not going to do anything. If the Fed thinks they can get away with a rate hike, they will. But more often than not, they can't because uh, um, markets are too upset. But the, it looks like the coast is clear for December. They will raise rates then. All right. Well, in your new book, uh, The Road to Ruin. Uh, you suggest that the global elites have a secret plan for the next financial crisis. Uh, who who are these global elites? Well, it's a great question, you know, because they're real people and we know who they are. It's not some deep, dark conspiracy. They don't sit around a boardroom with hoods on, you know, like a specter out of a James Bond movie. It's, you know, it's Christine Lagarde and Janet Yellen and Mario Draghi and Larry Summers and uh, Paul Krugman. And, you know, it, it's... Um, Central bankers, finance ministers, uh, other policymakers, some professors, um, the head of the BIS. You know, you, we know who they are. Um, there aren't that many of them, maybe several hundred around the world, but it's not like 20,000 people. I mean, there are, there are a couple hundred people who basically run the international monetary system, and they're the ones I described. They um, 
they don't have a secret committee, but they the way I describe it in the book, and I talk a lot about it in the book, you don't need a top-down conspiracy to make this work. You just need like-minded individuals. You know, they all went to the same schools. They all went to like either Harvard or MIT or Chicago or Yale. Uh, in many cases, they were each other's professors. A lot of the central bankers around the world today, they, they got their PhDs from MIT. Well, their thesis advisor was Stan Fisher, who is uh, now the vice chairman of the Federal Reserve. So they all know each other. They show up at Davos. They show up at the Aspen Ideas Festival, um, you know, go to the Jackson Hole in August. It's, you know, it's a nice, cozy club. So, so we know who they are. They operate by consensus. They operate through just shared interests. What's important to understand is, you know, what's the agenda? Mm-hmm. What, what do they believe? What's their belief system? Because if you can understand that, it makes policy fairly easy to predict because you know you know what the models are you know what they're looking at they their models are completely obsolete by the way they blunder time and time again and they will do so again but they don't realize that they don't seem to, to understand the mistakes they're making so that they keep repeating them but mm-hmm. that actually makes it easier to, to forecast policy mm-hmm. well I could understand I, I think that's absolutely true but but you talk about their um, their plans for the next financial crisis could you talk right. a little about that what, are, what do they have in mind Sure. I, I look at three financial crises as a way to analyze this. I start with 1998. That, of course, was the you know the Asia Russia long term capital management meltdown. Mm-hmm. I then look at 2008. Uh, not, we all understand what happened there. Um, and then I look at 2018. So that's uh, an estimate. I don't want to put a you know hard stake in the ground that you know on January 1st 2018 that everything's going to fall apart it could be 2018 it could be later but importantly for investors Jay it could be tomorrow mm-hmm. so there is a financial catastrophe coming it will be bigger than the one in 2008 it will uh, actually cause a different response function I'll talk about that in a second but uh, don't don't wait a year or two this is something that, that could come tomorrow but I used to have that 2018 just to keep up that 10 year tempo now in 1998 we were hours away from shutting every stock and bond market in the world. I mean, I, I was there. I was in the room. I negotiated that bailout. I was in the room at the big New York law firm with Treasury officials and Fed officials and all the bankers. And I know how dangerous this situation was and how close it came to collapse. Same thing in 2008. Um, we were just days away from the sequential collapse of every major financial institution in the world. So, you know, Bear Stearns collapsed in March 2008. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac collapsed in June, July 2008. Uh, Lehman Brothers collapsed in September. They were falling like dominoes, but that was all about to accelerate. Uh, Morgan Stanley would have been next, then Goldman Sachs, then Citi, Banking, B of A, and finally J.P. Morgan. Now, that didn't happen because the Fed intervened. The Fed truncated the process. And, And the point I make is that these are complex dynamic systems. They operate exactly like natural dynamic systems, you know, earthquakes, volcanoes, and so forth, with one important difference. If an earthquake starts, you can't stop it. It's just going to, there's a release of energy, it's just going to run its course. If a financial panic starts, you can stop it, but you don't solve the problem. All you do is store up that energy for the next one. Mm-hmm. So the, the point is, for 1998, uh, Wall Street bailed out a hedge fund. 
2008, the central banks bailed out Wall Street. Mm -hmm. In 2018, if not sooner, who's going to bail out the central banks? In other words, each crisis gets bigger than the one before. Each bailout gets bigger than the one before. We're now at the point where the central banks have to be bailed out because they they bloated their balance sheets. They've cut interest rates to zero. They haven't normalized anything. Uh, you know, in the last six years, the Fed took their balance sheet from $800 billion to over $4 trillion. Mm -hmm. Now, somehow they had got back down to, let's say, $1 trillion, raised interest rates to 2 2.5%. I'd be the first one to say, hey, nice job, guys. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. You saved the world and you normalized your balance sheet. But that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. The balance sheet is still at $4 trillion. Interest rates are still close to zero. They have no ammo left to fight the next war. And when it comes, they're going to have to turn to the IMF. Uh, and the IMF is going to reliquify the world with world money, which is the special drawing right, the SDR. I'm sure listeners have heard about it. It's not as hard to understand as it, as it may sound at first, notwithstanding the funny name. It's just world money. Uh, you know, the Fed has a printing press. They can print dollars. The IMF has a printing press. They can print SDRs, and they will, but it will be highly inflationary and will destroy wealth. It will be highly inflationary for everyone, James, or, or for the United States in particular. I mean, I've read some of your uh, some of your material recently in which you're talking about the dollar being devalued, uh, losing its purchasing power via this basket of, of other currencies. The SDRs, I guess, would include gold as well, perhaps? Uh, well, I think gold is different. Um, right now, the SDR is not backed by gold. Uh, it, by the way, it used to be. When when the SDR was created in 1969, and, and of course, there's nothing new about them. They have been around since 1969. But originally, an S, one SDR was defined as a spe specific weight in gold. They got rid of that uh, by around 1973-74, but ever since then, the SDR has been defined with reference to a basket of currencies. Um, but no, look, I talk about the dollar and inflation of the dollar, but this will affect all the currencies. It's not as if, you know, the dollar is going to be devalued and somehow the euro will be, you know, twice as valuable. Uh, the euro might go up a little bit, but all the currencies are going to be devalued against gold. Gold will be the only form of money that will, you know, preserve purchasing power. Um, I, as I said, I expect uh, gold to go to ten thousand dollars an ounce, and you know, people say, "Oh, woohoo! You know, I'm going to make all this money on gold." And I, what I explain to them is, is no, you, you gold will go to ten thousand dollars an ounce, but in today's purchasing power, it'll it'll only be like a thousand dollars an ounce. What what you will do, you'll preserve your wealth. You won't have a windfall. You will in nominal terms, but in real terms. It's not so much that it's a windfall, it's just that you've preserved your wealth when everyone else has been wiped out. That's valuable and that's important. Let me understand then, why do we go to SDRs? Is that in an, eff an effort, in effect, to, to reflate, to, to create inflation because they haven't been able to do that through their normal process? Well, that's exactly right, but uh, it's basically uh, a way to create money uh, in a way that maybe no one will notice. I mean, they'll notice, obviously, it'll be headlines. You know, but people don't really understand SDRs. They don't understand the IMF. If it works, it will mainly be because nobody except the elites themselves understand it. But more to the point, um, you know, the, the best definition I've ever heard of a financial panic, Jay, is everybody wants his money back. You know, people say, oh, I've got money in the stock market. I've got money in the bond market. No, you don't. You, have, you may have stocks and bonds. But that's not money. People say, I have money in the money market fund. I mean, what a misnomer. That's not money. Those are units of a, of a mutual fund. 
Now, people think they can call the broker and sell the units and the money will be in their bank account the next day. But the, the SEC just changed the law so that for the first time, this is all very recent, money market funds are allowed to suspend redemptions. Just like a hedge fund, they can put up gates, you know, pull up the drawbridge and not give you your money. Mm-hmm. So you might, and I expect this will be the case in the next panic. You know, the, the last panic in 2008, what was happening was that Americans were panicking. They were pulling their money out of money market funds by the, by the billions. Um, and then people who depended on the money market funds, such as European banks, to fund their dollar liabilities, those couldn't be rolled over. So dollar liquidity was drying up all over the world. The way the Fed intervened then is they guaranteed every money market fund in America. They just said, hey, it's, it, we guarantee it. That was the bail-in. They're not going to do that the next time. It was too uh, – sorry, that, that was the bail-out. Bail-out, yeah. So, yeah. That was the bail-out. They're not going to do that again. It was too politically unpopular. Uh, people were still outraged. It's part of the, the, uh, you know, the, the success of uh, Donald Trump and you know, the Pirate Party in Iceland and uh, the Italian referendum and Brexit. You look all over the world. This is all popular – backlash against those kinds of um, bailout scenarios. So they're not going to do it. What they are going to do is lock it down and tell you you can't have your money. Um, and then they may have to close banks, shut exchanges. Uh, now, eventually, the, the SDRs will be issued. They see the central banks are at the outer limit of what they can do. Not legally. Legally, they can create more money. But politically and in terms of confidence, they can't print anymore without destroying confidence in their paper money. So you're going to be faced with a situation. Everybody wants his money back. You're going to have to pull it out of thin air. The central banks can't do it because they're tapped out. They, they never normalized from the last time. So the only clean balance sheet in the world, the only source of new liquidity in the world is the IMF and the SDR. So that's why they're going to do it because there's no place else to get the money. That's the last, <clears throat> the last uh, means of bailing out the world, essentially, I guess. Correct. Um, <clears throat> so it seems to me, what you, well, what you're talking about, I, I think probably most people don't understand, and you're the lawyer, Jim, so you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding that you know, when you put money in the bank, you, put a, you deposit your, your currency in the bank, you no longer are really the legal owner of that. The bank, you are a lender to the bank, right? And and isn't it similar if I when I own stock and I have it in a brokerage firm? It's always in street name. It's not in my personal name. So uh, if the if the brokerage house goes down, I mean there are insurance things in place and so forth to the extent the government can make good on it. But we're not really legal owners of those assets, so that they can be taken from us. Do I have that the, right? That's correct. Uh, so if I put money in the bank. It's a misnomer. I don't consider it money. I, I do have money in the bank. You know, it's a convenience. I'm no different than anyone else. But sure. it's not money anymore. My bank deposit is an unsecured liability of an occasionally insolvent financial institution. Yeah. That's what it is. I'm, I'm lending money to the bank. I'm hoping I can get it back. Mm-hmm. Now, there is deposit insurance, and uh, some of these banks are too big to fail. But in in this next financial panic, I'm not talking about today, you know, sunny day and mm-hmm. everything's fine. I, I know I can go down to the bank and get some money, but in a panic, when everyone is uh, dumping everything, the, the, again, the last time they just they printed up the money, they guaranteed the accounts, they put everyone's mind at ease. But the problem the next time, they're not going to be able to do that. They're not going to be – for political reasons and reasons of confidence, uh, they're not going to be able to do it again. What they're going to do is tell you you can't have your money. Now, we'll say it's temporary. Remember, uh, well, Nixon. August, August 15, 1971, Nixon <laughs> said, I'm temporarily suspending the convertibility of dollars into gold. It was 45 years ago, and that we still don't have a gold standard. But uh, they'll say it's temporary. 
uh, they'll be buying time until the SDR, sorry, until the IMF can ride to the rescue with these SDRs. And once they do that, and by the way, the reason um, you asked a good question, Jay, you said, well, why will um, why will that be inflationary when uh, all the money printing that's happened so far hasn't been yes. inflationary? Uh-huh. Well, the answer is that printing money by itself does not cause inflation. Austrians believe it does, but but it doesn't. You need two things. You need the money. That's that's a start. But you also need people to spend it, lend it, borrow it. That's the velocity of money, the turnover. Uh, by the way, just in fairness to the Austrians, we don't have inflation in prices, uh, consumer prices or producer prices. We do have it in asset prices. So right. if you give the Austrians credit for that, that's just a different kind of inflation. So what we have are asset bubbles in stocks and real estate, but it hasn't shown up in the, in the consumer price index. Uh, that's because people are not spending the money. You know, the, this notion of helicopter money, print it up, you know, push, throw it out of helicopters, it falls to the ground, people are going to scoop it up and go out and spend it. Well, people will scoop it up. But they don't have to spend it. They could pay down debt, pay off student loans, car loans, home equity loans, credit cards, et cetera, or just save it. And that's what people have been doing. But the difference is SDRs are not walking around money. You and I aren't going to have them. These only go to the countries, and the countries will spend it. Oh, by the way, the SDR, the SDRs, the IMF can give them not only to their countries, but they can give them to multilateral institutions. So they can give them to the United Nations and the World Bank. And they will, and then those agencies will pursue, they'll be spending the money on you know, climate change infrastructure or whatever, but I guarantee that money will get spent, and that's where the inflation will come from. Well, Jim, let me ask you, if we get to this bail-in situation, the you know, global insolvency or illiquidity in the banking system, um, you know, and they start to, to give us all a haircut or take a portion of our, of our deposits away from us, um, People are going to want to run out of the banks. Is that the reason that the likes of uh, Joseph Steiglitz and Larry Summers and others are talking about putting together a cashless society? I mean, they talk about it being to stop the drug cartel, but I don't believe that one. I, I, I'm just wondering, um, what are your thoughts? Is that, is that what they've got in mind when they're starting to think in terms of a cashless society and make it all digital? Absolutely. You know, before you slaughter cattle, you have to herd them into a pen. Uh-huh. And before you slaughter savers, you've got to herd them into a digital pen. So what they're doing, they're um, basically eliminating the cash option. You know, it's funny, Jay, people think, oh, I can go down to the bank and get my cash whenever I want. Really? Go try it. Go, go up yeah. to a tower, ask for $15,000 in, in $100 bills. The teller's face will turn white. Mm-hmm. She'll, she'll call over the branch manager. They'll ask you for not just identification, but, you know, why do you want the money? Some banks will say, hey, can you come back in two days? We don't have that much on hand. And they will file a currency transaction report with the government that goes to an agency called FinCEN, which stands for Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. It'll be put into a file right next to uh, the terrorists, the drug dealers, and the tax evaders. Uh-huh. Now, again, you're a totally honest citizen trying to get your own money uh, for emergency purposes or just because you feel like it, you will be treated like a criminal. So, you know, people ask me, how's the war on cash going? I say, it's over. The government won. Um, if you do smaller amounts, you know, then do that twice in a row. They'll say it's structuring, which is a crime. Um, that's how they got Danny Hastert. You know, he, he did some horrific things, but um, they didn't get him for those things. They got him for, for taking cash out of the bank to pay blackmail money. He was, um, he was charged with structuring. Um, he happened to be criminal, but um, 
if you do it as an innocent citizen, they'll get you that way. And they have something else called the Suspicious Activity Report, the SAR, that they file for amounts below $10,000. So, mm. again, totally legal citizen, uh, wanting to get your own cash. You know, I live in a place where we get hit by hurricanes, and I have uh, I have a batteries I have batteries and a flashlight for emergencies. And I think it's a good idea to have some cash on sure. hand for the same. Yeah, you know, power grid goes out. We lost power for eight days in Hurricane Sandy. Guess what? The ATMs don't work. The gas pumps don't work. The banks are closed. And if you want to, you know, go down and get some groceries for your family, it's good to have cash. But uh, the government's going to try to eliminate it. That's so they can impose negative interest rates, freeze it, confiscate it. So we're all being herded into these digital pens like a cattle to the slaughter. Yeah. Not a very happy prospect for those of us who grew up in, in days when liberty was more uh, more of a reality, I guess. And, and not to say what they can do with that information once they can follow whatever you're doing. It could be used for political purposes, too, to make sure that there's no dissenters, that there's well, no it, revolution like 1776, for goodness sakes. We can't have well, liberty among the people, can we? But what has been? I mean, look at uh, Lois Larner and the IRS. I mean, what was that all about? So in, 2000, in 2009, uh, you know, Rick Santelli, a great guy on CNBC, he, he sort of went off on a rant and started the Tea Party, mm-hmm. uh, maybe unintentionally, but the Tea Party was a genuine grassroots movement. It wasn't sure. one of these top-down Washington lobbying outfits. It was, you know, Chamber of Commerce types, small business people, housewives, others, banding together, and they said, well, you know, let's raise some money. you got to go to 501c3, send in the replication of the IRS. Well, lo and behold, they were treated uh, as, you know, guilty of thought crimes. You know, and then when the uh, the Republicans took the Congress in 2010 in the midterm elections, mostly on the strength of the Tea Party. The Obama White House decided to shut them down and they used the IRS, probably mm-hmm. the most terrifying organization in the government. They slow roll those applications. They sent questionnaires out saying, well, you know, what are your religious views? What books do you read? You know, Etc. Yeah. So they were all thought crimes, basically. Um, so we've already seen it. We don't have to hypothesize this. Yeah. We know that the power of government is being used to suppress liberty and suppress um, various kinds of thought and expression. So how much worse would it get in a financial crisis? Yes, that's for sure, James. It's not a very happy story we have here in America these days. We do have to go to a commercial break now, uh, but when we come back, I'd like to ask you uh, to talk a little bit about the end game that the uh, ruling elite have in mind for us, how they're planning to control and effectively impoverish the masses. So, uh, Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with James Rickards after the commercial break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Ariane Phosphate is the owner of the world's largest greenfield phosphate project. Unlike other fertilizer nutrients such as potash and nitrogen, phosphate is in deficit in most areas of the world, including right here in North America. It has no substitute and is necessary if we're to grow our crops. Unlike the Middle East and North Africa, which controls most of the world's phosphate, Ariane is situated in mining-friendly Quebec and, once in production, will reduce North America's growing reliance on foreign supply. With a market cap representing just 4% of its $2 billion NPV, Ariane may be the answer to growth in investors' portfolios while ensuring the safety of our food supply. Ariane, D-A-N on the TSXV and D-R-R-S-F in the U.S. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm here with James Rickards once again. I want to go to your book in Chapter 9, The Final Plan of the Elite. It was a hugely interesting chapter, I found, and, I, and I, it really is, I think, where the rubber hits the road for Americans and investors as a whole. On page 278, you state, and I quote, The final phase of this grand bargain uh, is inflation to wipe out the real cost of global sovereign debt. If central banks could not cause inflation despite their best efforts, the IMF would create inflation for them with massive issuances of SDRs to, to be spent on global infrastructure and global welfare. The infrastructure needs intermediated by the World Bank would be targeted at so-called climate change and other elite hobby horse. So you'd have all these programs to spend money. Right. Uh, and then you say, uh, now the post-crisis global elite plan is seen in full, end of quote. So I'd like to ask if you could talk just a little bit about that plan and what practical impacts it will have on, on Americans. Are we going to see higher inflation rates? I guess we were talking about it, the lack of liquidity, the lack of maybe digital money. And so how do we prepare for this, or, or what are the, the real impacts of, of what you see coming? Yeah, and Jay, thanks for, for mentioning that. By the way, I, I want to point out uh, that um, this book has 151 endnotes. In other words, I don't make any claims that you, you read a passage and write yes. that is what the book says, but you can go to the back of the book and you can find specific working papers by officials that talk about that. So this mm-hmm. is all backed up with documentation. Sure. Or you know, the direct interviews, etc. It's, it's very well sourced, and readers who are interested can pursue that further. But uh, yes, that that is the plan. Look, if you pull, uh, my estimate would be five trillion SDRs. That's how much uh, they'll have to um, create out of thin air. They give it to their member countries. Um, they, again, we, you and I don't have any, uh, but but the countries do. But then inside the IMF, there's a trading desk where countries that get SDRs that want other kinds of money, you know, dollars or euros or yen or whatever, you just call up that desk and they find a buyer for the SDRs. And China is a buyer. China has been acquiring SDRs because they're trying to get out of dollars. Um, So you can sell the SDRs to China. China will give you dollars, let's say, or euros. And then you as a country go spend them on whatever. Some of this will be directed. when I say directed, I mean it'll be very specific. You know, as I mentioned, climate change infrastructure in the in the tens and hundreds of billions of dollars. But some of it will be at the discretion of individual countries. But as I say, if if, uh, if people don't want to spend, governments will. This this is what John Maynard Keynes said. He, that was his that was the origin of Keynesian economics. Is mm-hmm. when you're in a liquidity trap and people are fearful and they're nervous and they're saving their money, which is actually prudent. Well, sure. if they won't spend, the government will. Um, but here, but then you say, okay, the governments are going to spend. Where are they going to get the money? Right. Uh, if, they, if they're all deeply indebted, if the United States has a uh, over one hundred percent debt to GDP ratio, you know, China and Japan have over two hundred percent debt to GDP ratios. Well, they're at the outer limit of what they can borrow. Their central banks are at the outer limit of what they can print. So, where is this new money going to come from? Well, voila, it's going to come from the IMF. By the way, the IMF is not a country, mm-hmm. so it does, what it does not have a trade deficit. It does not have a budget deficit. It can. 
when it comes to use print money, there, there are at least some constraints in terms of um, currency exchange values, uh, trade deficits, budget deficits, um, interest rates. There, there's some constraints imposed by the market, but the IMF is outside the markets, outside those constraints, and the money literally comes out of thin air. Jim, I have to ask you, are we looking then at, at sort of a one-world government that's being formed? And then, and, and then as a follow-up question, what about what increasingly seems to be America's adversaries? We, you know, Putin is being blamed for everything that goes wrong in this country now. We won't allow the Chinese to, uh, to control their own sea lanes. We are sort of – those seem to be adversarial countries that are doing what they can – to try to protect their own sovereignty, it seems to me anyway. That's my read of it. And so, you know, they're, they're setting up their own, the, the, the great, you know, the new infrastructure that allows them to trade and move goods and goods around and, and you know, railroads and transportation networks as well as financial networks. Um, uh, I think they've set up something akin to the SWIFT system once, at least when we told Russia they couldn't be a part of that anymore. Um, so... How does this all play out? Do are we destined for some sort of a serious global military conflict in the midst of all this? Well, uh, three different questions, Jay. And, you know, I'll take the first one, uh, which is: you know, Is there a long-term globally plan for? world government, world taxation, world money? The answer is yes, and I talk about this in the book. Uh, the world government infrastructure is there. It's not primarily the United Nations, by the way. It's the G20. Mm-hmm. Uh, the G20 meets formally at the head of state level. They met most recently on September 4th in uh, Hangzhou, China, um, and they have large working groups, and they have a final communique and a lot of Papers. It was it was the G20 meeting in Brisbane, Australia, in November 2014, that that formalized the bail-in plan as opposed to the bail-out plan. That's where they take stockholder money, depositor money, and bondholder money to, to fix up uh, fix up the banks. Um, so uh, so that's kind of the board of directors of the international monetary system using the IMF as a central bank. Mm-hmm. So you know, just the way you know the Federal Reserve is a central bank and has a board of governors. The IMF is the central bank of the world, and its board of governors are the G20 heads of state. So that, you know, then with the United, uh, the United Nations as uh, as ancillary to that. By the way, there are a number of organizations. I talk about all of them in the book. They farm out these tasks. So there's something called the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, uh, the major developed economies, OECD. They are working on the global tax plan. Uh, it has, has a funny name, uh, BEPS, B-E-P-S, uh, uh, base erosion and profit shifting. Uh, so if you ever see OECD BEPS, if you don't know what it means, just think global taxation and you've got it. Um, so the United Nations is taking the lead on climate change. The OECD is taking the lead on um, uh, global taxation. The IMF will take the lead on world money. And it's all being directed by the G20. But again, this is not futuristic. This is not to frighten people. This is all here. Yeah. Today is happening. Uh, now, as far as uh, World War Three is concerned, it already started. Uh, it's going on right now between Russia and the United States. It's not kinetic warfare. It's cyber warfare. Now, now I think a lot of people have familiarity with uh, cyber attacks. So you you hack into the operating system or the control system of some critical infrastructure like the Hoover Dam, and then you open the floodgates and you drown three hundred thousand people in their sleep by just you know flooding. Uh, letting the water flood downstream. We're also familiar with financial warfare, and you know, I did uh, help facilitate the first financial war game in 2009, run by the Pentagon. 
Well, imagine combining the two, combining cyber warfare and financial warfare into cyber financial warfare. Uh-huh. That's what's going on. Now, the you know the, the, the Russians could shut down the New York Stock Exchange tomorrow. That's child's play. Uh, but a more sophisticated form of attack would be to get inside the order entry systems, um, you know, say Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and others, and start spoofing orders, sending a flood of sellers, sell Google, sell Apple, sell Tesla, sell Facebook, boom, 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 IBM, etc. Do it on a day when the market is already down, you know, three, four percent, a really bad day on the market, and then and then hit the the uh, sell button. That's called in military parlance. That's called a force multiplier, where you you have some force vector, but you have some other vector that makes it even more powerful when you combine the two. Um, you know, markets could go down 30% in one day, a little more than happened, uh, you know, 19 years ago, a couple weeks ago, in uh, October 19, 1987. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, what's the purpose of warfare, kinetic warfare, where you're bombing bridges and factories? Yeah. And, well, it's, it's to destroy the wealth and the morale of your enemy. Well, what if you could do it digitally, which you can? And, you know, I bump into billionaires in Greenwich, Connecticut. I live not far from there, and they're happy to tell you, I own stocks, and I own bonds, and I own this and that. And I say, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. You have a, you have electrons. Mm-hmm. You, those electrons can be hacked. They can be erased. They can be wiped out. Good luck finding them again. Your wealth can disappear. So you need some tangible wealth, which is, it can be gold, silver, fine art, land. Um, if you want to invest, you can do uh, private equity where uh, or venture capital where it, it's a written contract. You know the entrepreneur. You can knock on her door, knock on his door. Um, those are the kinds of things that last. But, the, but any digital asset is completely vulnerable to being wiped out. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's, that's very important for people to realize that, and I think the lion's share of people are not aware of that. Well, your book is just full of huge amounts of very interesting topics, Jim. You know, I just mentioned some of the chapters. Uh, chapter 1, This is the End. Chapter 2, One Money, One World, One Order. Chapter 3, Desert City and the Mind. Chapter 4, Four Shock, 1998. Uh, chapter 5, Four Shock, 2008. Chapter 6, Earthquake, 2018. You mentioned that may or may not be, but we need to be ready for the earthquake that's coming, the financial earthquake. Uh, chapter 7, Bonfire of the Elites. Chapter 8, Capitalism, Fascism, and Democracy. And Chapter 9, Behold a Black Horse, reference to the sixth chapter of the uh, Book of Revelations. And you you mentioned that at the start, a very interesting Passage, of course, that's apocalyptic literature that was written initially for Christians that were being persecuted. I believe after the fall of Rome, after the fall of uh, Jerusalem, and into the early days of uh, well, right after, uh, probably up through eighty uh, sixty eight or something like that, or eighty nine. Uh, right. So, so it was a time to sort of give hope to to the Christians or to the people that were being persecuted at that point in time. So what is the, the bottom line for your book? There is hope. I mean, there is, there is what you're trying to do and what you do, I think you're doing an amazing job of, Jim, is providing people with information they need to survive and to protect their families in an environment that is going to make that very, very difficult unless they have the knowledge to do so, right? That's right. There's something, uh, Jay, called the self-negating prophecy. I think a lot of people have heard of the self-fulfilling prophecy where something's not happening, but you say it's going to happen, and then people believe it, and the next thing you know, it's happening because everyone's acting, you know, the, the classic run on the bank, and everything's fine at the bank, but uh, somebody starts a rumor, and next thing you know, some people run down to get their money out on the line forms, and by the end of the day, the bank is broke. Well, there's also the self-negating prophecy, which is if you can provide enough warning and enough um, you know, basically explaining it to people, maybe maybe there'll be some policy actions or some 
fixes where it doesn't happen, and that's a great result. I've had, I've had people say to me, uh, uh, "Boy, Jim, I read your book. I hope you're wrong." And I say, "So do I." Mm-hmm. Uh, but but maybe I'm not. And at least this is how things are going to play out if we don't make some changes. And then we can either make the changes or at least be warned. One last question before I leave you go: uh, A Trump presidency more or less dangerous in terms of the financial? Uh, I think it's a lot uh, less dangerous. I think it'll be, you know, almost our last chance. Uh, look, Trump is unpredictable. Uh, um, you never know what he's going to say next. But with, with Hillary, you know you're going to get more of the same. You know you're going to get the same kind of appointments, the same kind of policies. We're on the wrong path, so we, we continue on the wrong path. And I think my book would play out exactly uh, the way I lay it out. With Trump, um, there, there's sort of good news, bad news. The good news is I think he'll choose a different path. The bad news is the global elites are going to stand in his way every step of the way and maybe they'll even precipitate something just to make them look bad so uh, I think either way investors need to be prepared yeah I was going to wonder if uh, President Kennedy thought he was the president and uh, didn't have time to realize he wasn't but um, anyway uh, I should stop with that thought probably before it gets too gloomy because your book does provide some hope Jim I want to thank you very much for being with us again and and where is the best place to buy it I guess you can buy it on Amazon now you can pre-order it there you can how do you how do they buy it uh, correct you can get it on Amazon Barnes and Noble uh, actually the independent booksellers have a website it, it's the official publication date is November 15th so it'll be in bookstores on November 15th but before then you can pre-order it I'm happy to say we're uh, the number one bestseller in um, in the money category on Amazon so we're actually beating books that are already on the bookshelves and for those who are interested in an autograph copy you can go to my website jamesrecordsproject.com that's jamesrecordsproject.com and we have a widget you, you can buy it from the places I mentioned and if you put your confirmation code in an address will mail you an autograph booklet and they're, they're real autographs we don't use a robo pen I actually flew back from Australia the other day I signed 600 of them on the plane so we have thousands more good to go so uh, yeah I'm really uh, very appreciative of those who are interested oh that, that's fantastic offer thank you very much James always good to hear from you always in insightful, always a potentially life-saving information. So thanks again for being with us. Look forward Thank to doing you. it again sometime soon. Thanks, Jay. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, William Engdahl is scheduled to be my main guest, and I expect also to speak with Michael Oliver. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Spec Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the NVO and NSRPF respectively.